Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 25? Matthew, the 25th chapter. And beginning with verse 31, may I lay a passage of Scripture on our heart that forms a backlog or a background of principles upon which we will hear the well done of the Lord when we get to glory. In Hebrews 9:27, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, and that text says, after this, the judgment. There are a number of judgments spoken of in the Scripture. Among them is the judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of the nations, the judgment of the great white throne. And depending upon what we have done with Christ Jesus in this life, if we have received Him, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment seat of Christ, where we receive the well done of our Lord, and we hear the commendation of the Savior based upon what we have done with the gifts and the talents and the dictates and the mandates that Christ has given us here in life. It is appointed unto men once to die, and for those who have rejected grace, have rejected love, have rejected God's only begotten Son, the judgment is the great white throne judgment, that tragedy where the lost will hear our Lord say, Depart from me, I never knew you. There is in Scripture taught a passage relating to the judgment of the nations. I have not time to go into all of the textual uh, truths and meaning of this tonight. So I want to lift this passage, Matthew 25, beginning with verse 31, out of its context. For in context it speaks of the judgment of the nations. It speaks of that time after the judgment seat of Christ. In my opinion, when the Lord comes the second time and the nations who have either honored the Lord and the Lord's people, the Jews, and perhaps the Lord's people, the Christians, the nations will receive a judgment. And I have not time to discuss this tonight, but in context, this is what this chapter deals mainly with. But there are principles here that I feel impressed to lift from this context and lay upon our hearts briefly. May I present this scripture? May we pray. Our Father, we ask tonight that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and burn in our hearts the truth and the meaning of what Thou art saying to us. Holy Spirit, bring conviction to the lost and renewed service and, and enthusiasm and commitment to the saved. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all the nations, and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall say to the sheep on the right hand, He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on His left. Then shall the King say unto them on His right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, 
Inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer, saying, Lord, when did we see thee hungry and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When did we see thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and ye gave me no food. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Over and over again in the Scripture, the Bible says there is a righteous end and there is a wicked end. There is an end of life for the righteous. There is an end of life for the wicked. There is a judgment for the righteous, the judgment seat of Christ, those who are made righteous by faith in the shed blood of Christ. There is a judgment seat for the wicked, the great white throne judgment, where there shall be called before God at the very last of the age all of those who have said no to God, no to God's invitation, no to God's last call, no, God. And there they will give an account of why they said no. And forever and forever and forever they will be separated from life and love and liberty and truth and everything that could ever satisfy their soul's needs in an awful place Jesus called the lake of fire and hell. Briefly, in these moments, I want to say this to you. Many people spend their life joining different kinds of clubs and movements, investing themselves in all kinds of things, and they have not really time to invest in the Lord's work. Let me say this. With all the love of my heart, it takes a lot of time to invest yourself in work. I heard somebody say the other day, I don't have time to be a, a Baptist. I don't have the energy to be a Baptist. I think I'll join some other church so I can get some sleep. Well, I want to tell you, you can get some sleep in heaven. You can get plenty of rest in heaven. But in the Lord's church, some folks have little tiny cups, and they want to come and stay 10 or 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour. But when that last part of the hour comes, they want to cut it off and leave because that's all they have. That's all the room they've got in their lives. They want to get into some group, some place where they do not have to carry the responsibility of hearing testimonies like these, of having people involved in going in mission work, of people involved in a Christian school. And they, want to, they want to be dwarfed, little, tiny Christians. I think it was Dr. Lee that used to say, at Bellevue, we preach sermons and raise Christians. We don't preach sermonettes and raise Christianettes who go out and smoke cigarettes. Well, I don't know about that, but I want to say God has given us a huge work, a huge task, 
And it takes involvement, it takes time, it takes talents, it takes dedication. It takes everything we are, everything we have, and without any apology at all, I would ask you, men, women, boys, and girls, to lay everything we have on the line for God, for the time is short. And in this passage we've read, admittedly, lifting it out of its context, for it applies, in my opinion, to the judgment of the nations, but it provides principles upon which there will be a based an opinion from our Lord as to what we have done in His name. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, ye have done it unto me. Most Americans have become perpetual joiners in a desperate effort to escape from the obscurity of mediocrity. By the time your ordinary garden variety of a common citizen attains the age of 50, he has collected a whole trunk full of insignia, robes, turbans, coats, caps, embroideries, buckles, medals, pins, which he has acquired in his poorly directed effort. He has joined the moose and the masons and the oddfellows and the elks and the red men and the eagles and the owls and the reindeers and the pelicans and the mystic knights of the sea until his breast is covered with the badges and his hand is calloused with mystic grips and his voice is hoarse with whispered countersigns. He finds no inconsistency in joining a hundred different lodges and in racing the calendar in a vain hope of squeezing in an extra lodge night or week every week or so. Instead of being himself, he becomes a purpure of the brotherhoods and fellowships and lots of time to the exclusion of the activities and fellowship of his church. Poorly directed effort. He belongs to so many different things that nothing really belongs to him. His waistcoat bulges with cryptic badges which he dashes around like an alderman at a funeral. He is a, he is a, here is a woman or a man who has time to learn the latest dance steps. Time for the bridge club, time for the book club, time for the lodges, time for the movies, time for the DAR, time for the various activities, but no time or little time for prayer meeting, the missionary groups, the church, no time for God. A victim of misplaced confidences and majoring on counterfeits. And Jesus said, before him shall be gathered all the nations. And we're going to give an account of what we did with our time. It is appointed a man once to die, and after this, judgment. To the saved, to the lost. First of all, to the lost. If you're here tonight and you're headed toward the judgment of the great white throne, let me tell you a little bit about that judgment. It is appointed a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. For as much as ye did it not unto one of the least of these, ye did it not unto me. That is, you do not yield your life and faith to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You rejected Calvary's call. You rejected the love that was poured out on the cross for you. You rejected those who came and knocked on your door and urged you to repent of sin, to put your trust and faith in Christ. You rejected the gospel invitation of the choir. You rejected the gospel invitation of the soul winners. You rejected the gospel invitation of the preacher. You rejected the gospel invitation of the Bible. And most of all, you rejected the Holy Spirit who touched your heart and made your pulse faster and your heart beat quicker. You said, no, not tonight some other day, some other time, some other hour. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. What is that judgment like? At the judgment of the great white throne, the books will be opened, and another book will be opened. 
In those books are recorded all of the deeds of our lives. In those books are recorded all the sins of our lives. In those books are recorded all the works of our lives. They're all there. They're all there. Not one is missing. They'll all rise up to point to you. The deed's done in the midnight hour and you assumed no one knew about it. The injustice, the injustice with which we have dealt with others. The infidelity of men to their wives and of wives to their husbands. All of it will be there. The rebellion of children to their parents. The neglect of parents to their children. It will all be there. Nobody knows it now. But those things done in secret will be shouted from the rooftop. It will all be come out. Those things that were done in the privacy of your own life and you thought nobody would ever know, nobody would ever hear, nobody would ever know about it. But God says there is coming a day if you reject the mercy and the love and the grace and the forgiveness of the great Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, They'll all be there at the judgment of the great white throne and they will rise up with accusing fingers to point to you and there'll be no place to hide because you've rejected the only hiding place, Jesus Christ. And there'll be no way to avoid a public hearing for everybody will know. In the Watergate hearings, we learned a tremendous spiritual truth. Somebody has said, if our president had only come out and said, yes, I know about this, and I'm sorry it all happened, and we're going to dismiss those who did this, and I just want to let the nation know that this was a misdeed, the whole thing would have blown off. But instead of that, there was a covering of it. The Bible says that when our sins are covered, are not exposed to the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, when those sins are hidden and are not confessed, that eventually they'll come out and they'll leap up at the judgment as terrible accusing fingers. And not only that, but then there will be an eternity of separation from God in that awful place called the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone forever and forever and forever. You say, preacher, you don't believe that that's really validly true, literally true? Well, that's what the Bible says. If it isn't literally true, the Lord will tell us when we get there, when we get to heaven. He'll tell you when you get there to that lake of fire. But I want to tell you, I wouldn't take a chance on it. If the Bible was literal when it said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, it's probably literal when it says there's going to be a lake of fire at the Christ rejecter's end. If the Bible was literal when it said that Christ would die on a cross for our sins and men would hide their faces from him and his visage would be marred more than the marring of any man, then it's all probability literally true when it says that you'll stand before the judgment bar of God disarmed, naked, and all of your sins will come out. They'll all be known. I would not take my chances and hide behind the idea that this is a spiritual myth. If I understand God's Word, it says what it means and means what it says. 
And if you're here tonight and you've rejected Jesus, you've rejected Calvary, you've rejected God's love, let me appeal to you to reject that no more, but to come, come with your sins and your sorrows and come to Calvary, and you'll find forgiveness. Bring all of those skeletons in your closet. Bring all of those ugly things. Bring all of those moral problems. Bring all of those things that you wish could be hidden and hide them under the blood. You say tonight, oh, but preacher, you don't know my sins. Nobody in the world knows about it. Just God and me. And I'm ashamed to even tell God. Well, I want to tell you, if you do not tell God, if you do not bring those things under the grace of God and under the blood of His covenant, then they'll all come out at the judgment of the great white throne and they'll haunt you forever and forever and nothing will be hidden. They'll all be known. The only way to avoid that is to bring your sins to Calvary and let His blood cover them. And my dear friend, when the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, covers your sins, they are covered for all eternity. And God said, if I understand this book correctly, that they will not be heralded from the housetop. They will not be held against you because those sins are in the depths of the sea of God's forgiveness and they'll never come to haunt you again. But what about at the end of the one whose faith is in Jesus? It is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment seat of Christ. The one whose faith is in Christ, what about him? The scripture says, when the Lord comes the second time, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. That means we'll never be separated from him again. We'll be united with him forever. And there will take place, first of all, the judgment seat of Christ, spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where our lives will be weighed, weighed, hay, wood, and stubble as over against gold, silver, and precious stones. And those who have built on hay, wood, and stubble, who have built doing their lives just for the people's sake. They lived their lives just so folks would see them. They lived their lives for pleasure, even though they were Christians. They lived their lives just for their families. They lived their lives just for anything other than the supreme one that's building out of hay, wood, and stubble. And over on the other side, those who have built upon the foundation of Christ Jesus and built out of gold, silver, and precious stones, building their lives out of those things that would last forever, the gold referring the reaching of precious people for Jesus, the silver referring to the redemptive work of Christ, and the, and the precious stones referring to intercessory prayer, building their lives out of holiness, out of soul winning, and out of prayer. That's what will endure on and on. Someone said, Preacher, you don't have any children. Well, first they were wrong. I've got uh, hundreds of children different kinds of children from what you think. I've asked God to help me make investments. I think investments that I'll meet one day after a while. But they said, Preacher, you don't have any children. What about these families 
who rear their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and they spend a lot of time serving the Lord. What about them? I said, I believe there's never been one man, one woman, not, not one family, who has honestly now before God, honestly before God, put your lives at God's disposal, invested your lives in His service, and had a, a home that was like a palace of love where there was understanding and spiritual understanding and kindness and graciousness and grace, where there was a willingness on the part of the husband to ask forgiveness, the willingness on the part of the wife to ask forgiveness, teaching the children to live in that kind of atmosphere and spirit. I said, I don't believe that there is a family like that under the sun who, if they'll give their time to Jesus, give their time to building a Lord's church, give their time to building souls for Christ, and yet at the same time maintain love at home, that God will not make up to you all of the investment of time and labor you have placed in the work. I think the scripture supports it. Now, this scripture is full of illustrations of people who were involved in the Lord's work, but they didn't have any love at home. Children suffer there. This book also has illustrations of people who were involved in the work of the Lord, and they did love at home. And there is the evidence here. I think of that godly Lois and Eunice, mother and grandmother, who gave to the Lord's work, Timothy. And when Paul came along, they were more than glad to say, Paul, you take Timothy and use him for thy glory, for the glory of Jesus. And Timothy, one day, will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And I believe the Lord will stop all the judgment and say, wait a minute, I want to call Lois and Eunice over here. You didn't get to spend much time with your son, Timothy, did you? Your grandson, Timothy. You gave him to the work of the Lord. But I want to tell you, all that he invested in Jesus' service, you have part in it. You have a share in it because you gave him to the Lord's work. That's part of what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ, the investment of our lives in the lives of others. This week, this team went to Texas, and in those few days, 88 persons professed faith in Christ there was the winning of a family, the Thomas Estada family. And that family, in the days ahead, may be instrumental in winning other people to Jesus. And one day when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and Thomas is there, and perhaps a church in Abrams is formed, and it'll be 25, 35 years if the Lord tarries. And many of the people there will forget that there was ever a team from Bowling Green, Kentucky that came there. And Thomas has gone on serving the Lord, and there are many people saved, and there are many others as a chain reaction, and they come to the great judgment seat of Christ. And Thomas is there, and the Lord will say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to call those people 
that came on that red, white, and blue bus from Bowling Green. And I want to get them in this. They'll share in the joy of all the souls that Thomas and that church have won to Christ. And then I want to call the people from Glendale Baptist Church who were part of holding the hands in prayer. I think of homes in the city of Bowling Green who have been reached through the bus ministry. Somebody, you know, sometimes the bus ministry is greatly misunderstood. Some folks think it should be just a transportation group. Oh, no, there's no way to, there's no way we could ever justify spending $80,000 just to transport people in days like these. People could walk. How many of you ever walked to church? Sure you did. So you could walk. Or people could go in their cars and get them. So the bus ministry is not a transportation ministry. That's the last thing on the pole it is. It is instead a great soul-winning ministry. It is a ministry involved in souls. One of the greatest tools God is using in America, listen to this, the figures of outreach and the figures of Sunday school growth and the figures of reaching people began to diminish 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Baptists went through a long period of reaching hundreds of people and we came a million more in 54. And then in 64, we won many, many others. And then from 64 to 1970, there began to be a long downdraft. People were scratching their head and wondering, what's wrong? What's wrong? We'd gotten our eyes off of reaching people for Christ, and then God put on the hearts of a large number of people that which he had already had on the hearts of a few people. That is, the few people like W.K. Wood, who has held three revival meetings in this church and was a pioneer in Ashland, Kentucky, and ran 20 buses 25 years ago. Like he put on the heart of D.L. Moody, who in 1885 ran horse wagons across Chicago and brought hundreds of people to Christ. And God began to put that on the hearts of hundreds of churches across America to say, go get some buses and go out in the highways and hedges and compel folks to come. Bring them in, bust them in from the fields of sin. I think of some of these homes that have been touched for Jesus. Homes where there is destitution, spiritually speaking. Homes where there is a father or mother who care little about the Lord. And the only time their children ever hear about Jesus from them is in cursing and swearing and profanity. God lays it upon the heart of some man, some woman, to go and knock on those doors and get the attention of little children through an ice cream cone through a hamburger, praise the Lord, through some little something, and those children get their, their attention is gotten, and they get on the bus and they ride to church, and there they hear about Jesus. I'll tell you, hundreds of them are getting saved, and when we get to the judgment seat of Christ and a little child, now an old man has come before God. His name is Joe, or his, her name is Mary, or maybe her name is Betty, or maybe her name is Dana, or maybe her name is Jerry, his name is Jerry, whatever, and they're there. And the Lord looks into their lives, and they've invested their lives in God's service. The Lord will say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want that group. They've long since forgotten what they did, but I want that group from down in Bowling Green, that church that paid all that money for those buses, 
I want them to come over. Glendale, all of you who were part of that Glendale Fellowship back in those years, come up here. Let's sing the song of the soul redeemed. Look at what's happened to these lives that have been redeemed from sin and from the devil and from hell. Look at them. And oh, I'll tell you, we'll join heaven's song in praising God forever and forever and forever because we had just a little tiny part in reclaiming, redeeming, retrieving somebody from the devil and from hell. That's what it's all about. It is appointed unto men once to die. Those who are saved, you are going to face a judgment seat. I'm going to face a judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ, if we're saved. And when we get there, the question will be, did you build on wood, hay, and stubble? Did you build on some kind of a psycho, super psychological culture, some kind of a, a false culture where you said, well, that person's not elegant enough to sit with me in church. He ought to be off somewhere else. I don't want those little dirty bus kids around me. We need clean walls in our sanctimonious sanctuary. That's wood, hay, and stubble. Since when do you find in this book that the cleanliness of a wall is more important than the cleanliness of a soul. And when we get there in that wonderful city, we're going to have fellowship with the redeemed from all ages. When we all get to heaven, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the saved on earth shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder, We'll be there when the roll is called up yonder. We'll be filled with joy and wonder when we join that blood-bought number. Some from every tribe and nation will be there. Now, you'll have to forgive me. When I get to preaching, I can't hardly run by clock. I've said that to you for 20 years. And I'll tell you, I'd like to close this service tonight at 8.30. When I got up here, I thought, said, Lord, help me to just preach eight minutes, and I'll do it but I couldn't do it, and it's quarter nine. And I've got about hours more worth of stuff to say, but I'll not say it tonight. I want to say to you, God one day will bring us before the judgment seat of Christ if we're saved, if we're born again. And I don't think he's going to say what time did you get home. Did you watch your clock and you sure that church got over at 8.30 every Sunday night? I don't think he'd say that. I think he's going to say how many lives were changed. How many homes were rearranged? How many souls were bought by the blood of Christ? How much did you get the glorious gospel out? Oh, my church, oh, my friends, oh, soul of ours, let's pour our lives into the things that really count that one day when we stand in his presence, when we look on his wonderful face, we'll not have to say, I wish I'd given him more because we can say, Lord, I gave you everything I had. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray tonight that the presence and power of the Holy Spirit would move among us. And, oh, God, change some attitudes and lives and minds, beginning with the preacher and all of our workers and our teachers and our leaders and our deacons and our bus pastors and our workers and everybody 
And we pray that we might be so much concerned about bringing folks home that all the other things will seem inconsequential, unimportant. Dear Lord, I want to say to you, if I have wounded any soul today, dear Lord, forgive. But help me to never apologize for preaching this book as I see it. And I pray that every man, woman, boy, and girl who is called by your name and loves you as Savior would stand by the book would say we want to build a soul-winning church that is concerned in reaching out after the unreached for Jesus' sake. We ask it in his name, amen. Would you stand, please? Beloved, there's enough power potential in this room tonight to change all of Bowling Green and Warren County and much of the region beyond if we'd catch fire for God, if we'd let the kindled fire of revival be real in our hearts. Let us not depend upon somebody else to do our soul-winning work lets us do it. I like what Mel said tonight earlier. He said, I'm not one to go knock on doors. But he said, I thought I'd go to Texas and see if I could do it there or just go and help. And he got so excited about the work that he went out and knocked on doors and God used him. He said, I'm going to come back and do it here. Well, God doesn't use just a special class to do that. You don't have to have any special gifts and talents to do that. All God wants is your time. He just wants your energy. He wants you. I wonder if there are Christians here tonight who would say, by the grace of God, I want to be a greater soul winner. I don't mean greater in the world's eyes, but I want to be more approachable, more, more under the control. I want my schedule to be more under the control of the Holy Spirit so I'll do what he tells me to do. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who would say, I'm not a member of this church, but I want to cast my lot with the Glendale Baptist Church, put my talents and my gifts, what I have, put my finances, put my spiritual life on the line for service at that church to help do a mighty task for the King here in the earth before the judgment seat of Christ. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who is not saved. And you would say, by the grace of God, I want to come to Jesus and trust him as my Lord and my Savior. Would you do it? God help you to do it. As we pray, as we begin to sing, will you come quickly, come now.